0: Right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, 50, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkar, and more importantly, I have the pleasure of welcoming back to the podcast, Dr. Newt Jacobson, who is editor of uh, a fascinating new uh, OUP publication, uh, Hindu Diasporas, uh, uh, as part of the Oxford History of Hinduism series. Uh, Newt, welcome back.
1: Thank you. So how did you end up editing a volume on Hindu diasporas? So, uh, I have been uh, working on uh, the Hindu diasporas part. Part of my research for many years, uh, and uh, uh, actually, the, the, the editor of the series, uh, the Oxford History of Hinduism, asked me uh, to uh, propose a volume on on the Hindu diaspora. So I was uh, presenting some of my material on uh, God, uh, Hindu goddess temples in uh, in Europe and Norway at the Oxford Centre for Hindu Studies. And in that connection, Gavin Flood uh, uh, asked me about it. So, uh, and then uh, Mm -hmm. uh, I was also uh, able to present uh, one of my chapters uh, at uh, um, Oxford Centre for Hindu Studies at a a later occasion. Now, this he suggested it titled Hindu diaspora, but I changed it to Hindu diasporas using the plural term because I thought that was um, uh, more um, kind of descriptive of, of the situation. The, the Hind- Hindus are part of many different diasporas, but the focus of the book is, of course, religion. So, I imagine.
0: The majority of our audience will be familiar with the term diaspora, but let's perhaps unpack it a little bit. What is a diaspora? Uh,
1: another term as it's used now is uh, has to do with migration. And uh, so it's uh, uh, it means that the migration migrations have taken place and that the group um, kind of... Uh, identity of the group is connected to this uh, ancestral homeland. So that's uh, so that's part of their uh, kind of their collective identity. So it, it means dis- dispersal and this dispersal uh, if there is this con- uh, connection to the uh, to the original place, then uh, we can talk about the diaspora. Uh, it has become very common as part of migration research. So I think the, the term maybe had a more limited meaning maybe 30, 40 years ago, but now it's connected to, to one aspect of, of migration. And of course, religion plays an important, important role in connecting to that ancestral uh, uh, homeland, uh, and therefore, um, it has uh, it is yeah it has particular interest for religious studies. It's part of the kind of the global dynamics of religion. I would say
0: yeah, it's a, it's a prevalent and fascinating and, and sort of increasing phenomenon. And if I'm not mistaken, the term uh, literally comes from uh, a Jewish term. Or the scattering of the seeds but you know so so we have hindus all over the world yes
1: um it's, a, it's used actually a greek word so it means me dispersal of the greeks to the to the island but for the jews it has a particular meaning because there it was kind of people without land so it was that but now it's used by a person who really i i mean belonged to have come from nations so they are so in a way they are not without land, but it's that dispersal. So, mm-hmm. so well, we have Hindus all over the world.
0: Um, uh, you know, when when did this start? When do we? Ha- when are some of the earliest um, uh, diasporas? Hindu
1: diasporas. Mm. So, uh, the first uh, a, a chapter of the book is about. Uh, Cambodia, and uh, the spread of, uh, I mean, you find the Hindu tradition in Southeast Asia. And uh, then how did that come about in the first millennium of the common area? So then I think maybe 100, 150 years ago, it was proposed that this uh, had to do with migration uh, from India. But um, then as this has been researched, um, it's has more to do with kind of trade, seafarers, uh, and and movement of um, maybe Brahmins uh, and, and, and and traders who would settle for some periods, uh, so that. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it's still open, but research now think that that. It is not, not that kind of diaspora as we you talk about that uh, uh, we, uh, as we use the term now, but it was certainly a, uh, an enormous influence of Sanskrit and Hindu Buddhist culture. Uh, but uh, diaspora, you know, the, the, the diaspora uh, comes about with, a, kind of with the kind with the the British Empire. Uh, and, the, and and the movement of people without within the, the, the kind of the, colon, Brit, the the British, French and uh, other colonial empires. Uh, and it really takes off uh, with the uh, indentured labor. So that is the prohibition of slavery in 1833 in the British Empire. and uh, then uh, the, the replacement of slave labor, uh, and uh, uh, then, uh, the, I mean, this was uh, uh, part of the kind of plantation economy uh, that uh, the slaves would not work on the plantations once they didn't have to. And then, uh, uh, I think the, the, the colonial powers tried different things, but what worked best was the recruitment of laborers in India and on five and ten years contracts. Uh, and the recruit the, the recruiters were paid, uh, and uh, there was uh, a lot of ethical problems around it. Uh, and uh, uh, my impression is that. The, the Indian indenture labors, at least the first decades, were not treated very be- much better than, than uh, the slaves. Uh, so there has been a, a lot of attention to the Atlantic slave trade, but actually the trade in the Indian Ocean, which also was quite large, has not been, uh, I think, given enough attention. But, but that's how the, the, the diaspora takes off and, uh, and it, uh, these indentured uh, labors uh, go to, uh, uh, yeah, to Trinidad, to Guyana, South America, uh, Mauritius, to Southern Africa, uh, Fiji. So very widespread um, around the world. So that is the, uh, now to some of these places like Mauritius, there were also Hindus who had traveled before, uh, uh, traders, and uh, who had actually managed to get land and were in a very different uh, economic situation, but the numbers were smaller. So it's with the indentured labor that we can talk about the old diaspora. Uh, And their situation, of course, was very different from what we call the new diaspora, Which is the migrations after let's see 1965 or where it really takes off so let's uh
0: let's stay with the the old diaspora for a moment this this movement through indentured labor so we have uh uh, thousands of laborers who are being um moved across the ocean for the sake of of work so these are these are workers these are laborers Mm -hmm. so given that context how is it that hinduism how is it that the religiosity mm. is transmitted is preserved you know one might think i mean obviously if you have experience on the ground you see that it's been quite vibrantly uh preserved and transplanted so to speak but one might think well we have a class of laborers and we have you know where whereby does the religion get transplanted
1: mm. so of course these were poor people and uh uh, so, uh, it it gets transplanted on these very kind of s- small temples for protection gods and goddesses. So, uh, maybe Hanuman, who is also a kind of protector god. So, it's... Uh, uh, and I think maybe in the beginning that this is not the first... The first concern, because there are so m- much troubles, but it gets—it's uh, 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 not forgotten, but it's being built up. And typical non-Brahmanical type of uh, uh, of religion, and often gods and goddesses having to do with protection. So, so they would be in—they would get at the plantation. Maybe some corner there would be. A, Uh, a small place for these protection gods and goddesses. And interesting, if you go and visit today, maybe there would be a large Brahmanical temple there. So these, many of these temples that are today Brahmanical and kind of significant classical agama types of temples started as a a small, uh, maybe a stone with red paint, etc., so there has been a kind of an enormous development
0: do uh, we have a sense of so how to say so we have these um these simpler um, shrines established by the laborers eventually developing into uh agamic temples proper through brahmanic means so then where do the brahmins come in where do where does a class of scholar priests come into this
1: context or do they Hmm. I think the, there has been, after 1970, at least a revival of Hinduism in, in and Hindu traditions in many of these old diasporas. Uh, now, the Arya Samaj sent missionaries to uh, these uh, old diaspora places trying to promote their kind of uh, ideology. Uh, now, there, uh, I mean, uh, Brahmins were also. Uh, traveling, going to these places, so uh, there would be uh, opportunities also for these uh, uh, Brahmins, and uh, uh, so you would get, maybe, after a while, two types of of temples, uh, non-Brahmanical and Uh, non-Brahmanical. So uh, with the but one of the chapters of the book on the Tamil-Shaiva diaspora is very interesting on this topic because it shows that before the 1970s, Shaiva Tamil Brahmins would not travel abroad. I mean, maybe a few did, but, but it was not very common and it was considered a negative thing. Uh, but uh, when this changed in the eighties, it, it has changed so that it has become the kind of the ambition of young Tamil Shaiva priests to do uh, to go abroad and work on uh, on these temples in the diasporas. So that has become uh, 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 a kind of a, a a good way of life, uh, and uh, many of these uh, Tamil Shaiva uh, uh, Brah- Brahmin priests. Uh, Working in temples, you know, a few years here, a few years there. So, <laughs> one on one of my field trips in this connection in uh, in in Malaysia, in a Tamil temple there, I just talked with a Tamil priest, and he, and he showed me, you know, on his phone that he had been in Oslo, the capital of Norway, a, a year ago, and in a few months he was going to start work in a temple there. After having worked in a, a Tamil Shaiva temple in Malaysia for some years, so there is this now this global market of, for uh, for these uh, Tamil Shaiva priests, which w- would have been unthinkable fifty years ago. So uh, the, the, it's, it's incredible. It really is incredible. The
0: power of innovation, and adaptation, and this this really um, this 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 uh, peculiar but useful sort of. Mix within the Hindu world of 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 other uh, tradition and other innovation, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know we we think of you know Hinduism might be technically the world's oldest living religion, but 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 what what parts of it what parts of it have remained untouched and and, and untransformed and uh, you know uh, there's a there is one temple that that I visit just because it's it's uh, just a gorgeous glorious temple it's it's north of Toronto I don't have any particular connection. To the tamil community personally in my own heritage but it is a it is a tamil temple in richmond hill it's a large and, and relatively old they began building it in the late 70s or early 80s which is i mean uh even toronto was sort of white and bright then much less uh, an hour away from toronto it's incredible actually mm-hmm. um and i had this this rather surreal experience where uh, earlier this year i went to do to australia for the first time to, to hold a retreat i've been holding international retreats and I was in Brisbane, and the flight, you know, the flight left me a little bit discombobulated. And for some strange reason, I woke up Friday morning. I had a few hours. I had to get to to, to Byron Bay where the retreat was later that that evening. But I had the day to kind of rest and do something. And I thought to myself, I had this this intuition. You know what? I want to seek out a temple. I don't know why. Uh, perhaps part, you know, armchair ethnography. Perhaps part, just looking to center and and recharge before I had to uh, discharge this retreat. And um, just the intuition said, you know. So I said, okay, well, let me be a millennial and pull up my iPhone and look in Google Maps and see, you know, Hindu temples. And of course, a zillion come up because there are a zillion Hindu temples in every major city these days. But okay, great. And I see one. I said, one's called a Durga temple. Okay, well, let, let's see. Let's see some shakta traditions, as you as you may know, my much of my um, much of my writing is on on goddess narratives. So let me see. Let me see this Durga temple. Hmm.
1: Tiny
0: temple in the middle of nowhere. I go there. I talk to the man. He asked me, you know, he, he speaks Tamil, and I speak no Tamil, so we're speaking in English. And he, he you know, I said, I'm, I'm from Toronto. Basically, he used to work at the Richmond Hill Hindu Temple, an hour north of Toronto. His brother in law is the head priest there. And here he is in Brisbane. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what are the odds that I fly across the world? and it's a, it's it's the same vamsha it's the same lineage it's the same family officiating it's it, it's fascinating so so i have mm-hmm. direct knowledge of what you mean by there's this wonderful uh, not to denigrate it but there's this is wonderful sort of spiritual franchising of, of of of
1: um of officiation which is great mm-hmm. um so the whole world has is uh, is now hindu space so, <laughs> <laughs> and, and i just love if ever i catch a temple if ever i catch like a, a
0: puja where they're either either doing like a, a, a yagya a homam like a fire ritual or something more elaborate you know the sankalpa there's a ritual sort of stamp or they announce it's brilliant they, they locate the ritual in 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 sacred space and sacred time hmm. and they and, and you will all of a sudden you'll hear you'll hear sanskritized versions of you know um Canada Deche in the country of Canada, hmm. <laughs> Ontario <laughs> Pradesh <laughs> in the province of Ontario, Toronto Nagare. <laughs> they're locating the they're locating the the, the, the ritually locating the, 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 themselves within where they are physically and in, in, uh, in, it's fascinating it's utterly fascinating. Hmm. Okay, so um so the early chapters of of the volume talk about the um perhaps the first waves of migration uh, due to indentured labor. How many uh, Hindus, how many folks do we have uh, as part of this wave-ish?
1: No, um, I'm not sure actually of the actual numbers, but uh, um, because uh, people also did return, and then so... uh, I, I I'm not sh- sh- sure about it. I mean uh, the, the number they, the numbers are not that high uh, I mean um, like in because these places were small like Mauritius there were I think no population there before or hardly any it was an unpopulated island. The Fiji quite small uh, island. And then Surinam, maybe 34,000 of Suriname, Mauritius, 60,000, but I should be careful with those. No,
0: no, indeed, in, in the tens of thousands for sure, mm. in the tens of thousands for sure, and, and probably in the Caribbean overall, but will be close to about half a million laborers yeah. overall. Just to give folks who are listening a sense, of course, you know, those interested for research and teaching and personal interest, will, of course, uh, well, of course, uh, purchase the book and dive in, but just to give sort of an overview. Um, uh, you mentioned earlier that that beyond this sort of early wave, uh, this wave in beginning uh, mid-19th century, ending early 20th century of, of indentured labor, that we have sort of this, this the second wave of, of, of Hindu migration.
1: Tell us about that. I, I, I should say, though, before we start, that there is also this Kangani system, that goes to Malaysia, Burma, and the hills in uh, in Sri Lanka. And there, I think we are talking about maybe 4 million, something like that. So that was really much bigger numbers because these were were very close, much closer to to, to India. So the travel was much shorter. Uh, So so that was, uh, I mean, a little bit similar, but here it was... uh, Uh, the recruitment system was a little bit different and the salary system a little bit different, but, uh, um, uh, and of course uh, with the the distances being shorter, uh, they're also the kind of going back and forth a little bit different. But um, then with the new diaspora, um, let's see after the, let's say 1947 with the independence of India, Uh, That would be a a way to start it. But but if you look at Britain, the the migration to Britain of Hindus before 1960 was really very limited. Uh, There there were Indian, uh, I mean, sailors and factory workers, but actually the majority were Sikhs and and Muslims. So that the Hindus were quite few. And there is a very interesting study on uh, the... Uh, on uh, uh, Indians in Britain, Britain, maybe 62-63, who uh, and the author makes a point to explain why there will never be Hindu temples in India in England, and explain why Hindus don't need temples, they can worship in a home, etc. So uh, then by, by the by the 1960s, this changes. And in the United States, they talk about 1965 because of the change of the um, immigration uh, laws. Uh, But in Europe, um, migration from India and South Asia takes off during those same years. Uh, So the first Hindu temple in Britain, for instance, opens in 1967, uh, and already in the 19... beginning of the 1970s, the planning of the first kind of uh, monumental Hindu temple in the United States starts. Uh, so, so it after that, it goes quite quickly. Uh, um, so that's the, and then the same, I think, to Australia also, that uh, type of migration. Uh, and it is uh, uh, kind of a mixed mi- migration, to Britain in the beginning labor migration but then also uh, people come for education and then also um, um more middle class type of occupations uh, so uh, it creates uh, yeah c- kind of very pluralistic type I would say uh, dominated by um gujaratis play an important role and then with the kind of africanization uh, politics in eastern africa uh, the, the, the 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 movement of uh, uh, of indian migrants from east africa uh, to 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 europe uh, it's an interesting thing that uh, india was asked to um uh, uh, admit some of those uh, uh, Indians from East Africa to come to India. But the Indian government said that these people are not Indians. They are now Africans. So the idea that the Indian state, their kind of uh, embracement of an Indian diaspora happened in the 1990s. Uh, even uh, when with Indian independence in 1947, uh, India had to decide. The Indian state had to decide about the the, the the diaspora, and they denied that these people were Indians. That they that India had no responsibility for them, and that they should adopt adapt to the, and assimilate in the nation that they lived in. So it's a very interesting history on 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 the uh, on the, on the the Indian state nation states view of the what we today call Indian or Hindu or which is part Indian diaspora, which a large part of of that is Hindu diaspora. It Was only in the 1990s this changed, and, and in the book we I discuss why did this happened. Uh, um, and of course, the, 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 the diaspora, the Hindu diaspora, Indian diaspora in the United States played an important role in this, changing the perception of who the the diaspora people were, uh, the, the indentured labour were low cost, um, and the... Uh, and while the the, the 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 Hindu diaspora in the United States were upper caste, very successful middle class, they had economic resources that India needed, etc. So it's a very interesting. Uh, that's why some would say that it's kind of the Indian diaspora is a polit- very politicized concept, but it's also I would say a kind of an a, a kind of an academic concept also. So whatever the Indian state might think about it the from a religious studies point of view the hindus the dispersal of hindus around the world uh, would be the same in a way it's still a hindu diaspora so
0: yeah it raises some very interesting questions about identity and about um about uh you know national identity versus religious identity versus ethnic identity and and, and there, there are fascinating parallels i mean Um, Oftentimes when I use the word Indian as in, you know, Indian religions, uh, I think most people gather by now, I mean, civilizational, you know, South Asia, you know, Bharata, you know, not nation state. So a great analog that is around the same age is Israel. Israel, the nation state, often gets conflated with israel the covenant israel the you know the 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 the, the people the culture the, the, the you know and so we use the word indian in, in many ways and so when you have for example hindus who are um second and third generation american or canadian or australian or or, or 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 british you know then they have a nation state uh you know i i know uh, a number of people um a number of jews in toronto who feel a call to the nation state of israel a number who feel that they have a nation state it's called canada <laughs> and 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 so so the, the fascinating um the phenomenon you're pointing to raises fascinating questions about uh politics and identity and 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 of course caste and you know the idea also that the, the now more antiquated idea but the, in in traditional Orthodox Hindu culture that once you cross the river that's it you've, you've lost ties with the motherland you've lost caste period you know you're you're a de facto outcast because you've, you 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 you've, you've crossed the ocean you've left the motherland so it really really is fascinating um what are some of the most uh popular uh, 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 or densely populated, Spaces. What are some of the most common
1: destinations uh, across the Hindu diaspora? Mm. Uh, the the largest uh, population of uh, Hindus outside of South Asia is in Bali, Indonesia, around four million. And then uh, United States, two and a half million Hindus. Uh, in uh, in, Euro- in Europe, in, in Canada, I think more than. Around half a million, maybe, and uh, in uh, in Europe, two million altogether. But half of that is is in Britain, one million Hindus. So that's uh, while uh, in other European countries, France, uh, uh, Germany, uh, Portugal, Italy. So the migration to Europe was is very much shaped by. Colonial history, in a way, that uh, it, it, Tamils uh, are would go to France. So the most spoken South Asian language in France is Tamil, and uh, the the greatest number of uh, of Hindus with the Tamil background in France uh, are actually from Sri Lanka. Ilan Tamil's uh, and they, uh, interestingly, in Europe they make up a majority of Hindus in several countries like Germany, Switzerland, then Dan- Scandinavian countries. Uh, while in uh, in Britain, uh, Hindus from Gujarat, uh, especially coming from East Africa, uh, make up the the, the majority in. Uh, uh, <coughs> In the United States, uh, um, Vasudhan Narayanan, who, who writes about that chapter, uh, I think uh, uh, writes that about half of the, uh, the Hindus in the United States have uh, college degrees, or that is uh, kind of that higher education, first and second. So it's it's also the, the wealthiest uh, uh, Hindu uh, uh, population in the world, uh, and she makes a very interesting uh, comparison between the temple building craze that was in Cambodia in the first millennium, and also in in in, in partly in 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 Southeast Asia, but with Angkor Wat uh, and what happened in the United States with the building of monumental temples. She thinks that this has a kind of uh, the last time you had this kind of a uh, temple building uh, uh, enthusiasm was in, the, in the, the Khmer kingdom and then in the United States in the in 20th, 21st century, which is a very interesting uh, comparison. And uh, and also, uh, yes, in the in United States, also very interesting di- dynamics, I think, with this uh, establishment of, uh, monumental temples also as pilgrimage places and 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 symbols and uh, and cultural centers and yeah
0: so for those listening the first part of the book covers a number
1: of geographical locations of course
0: uh vasudan uh, um article on um Cambodia in the first millennium and of course um uh, the Caribbean Uh, Suriname in particular, uh, Africa, uh, Australia, New Zealand, um, Europe, America. And the second part of the volume talks not about places, but themes. So let's maybe turn to that. What are some themes that we see, prevalent themes across the Hindu diaspora?
1: Mm -hmm. So... I wanted to cover, I mean, the the largest groups, uh, and one theme that we already talked about is the the Tamil Hindu diaspora. It's a a global phenomenon, and it's quite dominant in many countries. Uh, And it has this, uh, we already talked about but but there are this. uh, uh, kind of the whole world has become that type of Tamil-Shaiva space. They are... uh, And uh, then uh, the the second theme is about the Gujarati diaspora. That's also a a kind of a a, a dominant diaspora. Those two are the largest one. An interesting one is Shaiva and one is Vaishnava. So I thought that also was somewhat representative to, to focus on these two themes uh, and then uh, 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 yeah, the, that chapter uh, uh, on the Gujarati diaspora has one very good, nice feature is that she also studies some part of uh, kind of uh, um, what you could see, Views and understanding that are not necessarily manifest in the temples, but, but get manifest in 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 f- family religion. And she talks about boots and uh, and uh, I mean idea of ghosts and uh, and uh, some of these kind of folk traditions, which I think are understudied. Uh, and then. Uh, Uh, A third chapter is then on shaktism and uh, the shakta uh, traditions, which are also with a focus on temples, I think. Uh, Because uh, uh, also, uh, at least uh, from my own study of shakta tradition in Europe, is that these traditions are often somewhat... I don't know exactly how to say it, but some of the is are quite unique, depending have, they have dependent on individual persons who have had uh, maybe a vision of the goddess uh, 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 being asked to build a temple at that particular spot, uh, and so one. The largest Hindu temple in uh, continental Europe is a is a Shakta temple, a Tamil. Ilan Tamishakta Temple. And then, of course, there is a a chapter on the temple, in the the Hindu temple in the diaspora, uh, and a chapter on uh, uh, pilgrimage places, that is the establishment of Tirtas outside of of South Asia, which uh, I have written. I find that I'm interested in Tirtas and pilgrimage, and it's a fascinating... Thing that uh, and I think that's part of I think maybe old uh, conceptions of Hinduism kind of maybe misunderstood this ability of the Hindu tradition to globalize uh, because uh, wherever Hindus settle there their gods travel with them and their and their sacred sites are a, are unproblematically established at these places. So the, so the establishment of Tirtas, seeing the sacred at sites, I think then is a part of Hindu, um, the Hindu view of the world and not something limited to the geography of, of India. And then uh, there is a chapter on Hindutva and, uh, in, the, in diaspora. And I think with a very good conclusion, which I can that is that uh, politically the hindus in the diaspora are as you know polarized as they are in india so there is all there are all kinds of views the diaspora is not to be identified with any particular political views uh, and then <clears throat> one chapter on uh, which i was interested i was interested in the interaction or the lack of interaction between uh, the diaspora Hindus and um, what's called new Hindus or Hindus uh, people converting to Hinduism or becoming followers of of Hindu t- gurus or Hindu practices. Uh, and uh, Amanda Lucia has written a, a chapter on on the guru movement, uh, which and uh, kind of uh, uh, on. Uh, Yes, I mean you have to read it. It's an excellent chapter. But on, uh, I mean, the early, the early also came to United States. They kind of used uh, kind of the Orientalist idea, idea of of India very actively to promote their 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 own uh, teachings, and which was very successful. Uh, and then uh, on Iskon. The last chapter is on Iskon and Hari Krishna movement, because uh, there you have, I think, in there some of their temples, at least, maybe the the, the m- most interaction between uh, diaspora Hindus and new followers, uh, Bhaktivedanta Manure in in outside of London, the George Harrison, uh, temp- the Krishna temple that he gave to Iskon and then. You know the Gujarati Hindus moved in that area, and in a way, I wouldn't I would say took it over, but they became, you know, it became their temple also. So that's an interesting kind of movement where you can see these two uh, kind of uh, exa- two types of Hindus, we could say, then and uh, where they meet them. And then, notably, also the interests are often quite different I think the iskon they often kind of uh, were reacting against uh, I mean they were the, 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 their motivation was a critique of a culture they wanted to kind of to spiritualize the world uh, against materialism Etc while for the Hindus going to a temple is more the preservation I think of of kind of an everyday uh, and kind of an everyday practice, not a critique necessarily of of, of the world, but a way to, to kind of to go on living in the world. So so there there uh, so there is this at least potential uh, of uh, of a, uh, of having very different approaches to 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 to, to the use of religion and
0: so yeah. fascinating themes all, um, and <laughs> without playing favorites, which we don't do. I um, I also was quite, uh, did, did, did all fascinating and important works, but I, I quite enjoyed uh, Amanda Boucher's paper. Very cheekily named uh, Persistent Fictions. <laughs> 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 the extent to which the global gurus, you know, well, they perhaps may be um, uh, uh, the, 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 um, Propagating spiritual truths, nevertheless, <laughs> in order to do so, <laughs> they were propagating socio-cultural uh, concepts related to, to 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 caste hierarchies and uh, uh, well-trodden tropes. So fascinating mm. work. Um, so, from your perspective, you know, when you edit a volume like this, you are afforded a bird's eye perspective, and you you know. How do I phrase this? Um, I phrase, I ask this question often, but I, I find different ways to phrase it pending the, the particular conversation. You know, what was impressed upon you? You know, did anything surprise you? Did anything strike you uh, about this array of, of papers?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think they were <laughs> all very good. And uh, 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 that's a difficult questions, I I wouldn't say that I was surprised by anything because, but I was um, I I would think it rather confirmed and uh, I expanded on my empirical knowledge but um, and I got um, uh, what I think more examples to confirm ideas about this that I Already uh, have, I think. So I, I, I don't think the book, you know, I mean, it. For people who have less knowledge about this, they will maybe l- learn new kind of uh, large uh, th- kind of things. But, uh, but, uh, but, but I think I mean I was uh, surprised about one thing, and that was that I didn't know uh, before. How the Indian nation state has de- had dealt with the with the with the diasporas uh, before? I mean, from nineteen forty seven, and when it changed in the late nineteen nineties, I, 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 it was new to me that uh, the Indian nation state uh, had, were unwilling to accept anyone from East Africa uh, who didn't have any. Uh, I mean, they had. Uh, I think they had British passports uh, because that's uh, part of that. Uh, but uh, but so that I was actually, that I read it. I was quite shocked about it, and also that they, the Indian nation refused the Indian population in the indenture labor that they, or the the, the the Indians in Malaysia, Burma, etc., to 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 accept them as Indians. Uh, I mean, because we had been so used to thinking—I mean, I have at least become so used to thinking that this, this was an Indian diaspora, and uh, and that uh, so that was quite shocking to me. I have to say, so mm. so I write about that introduction essay quite a bit because uh, and then and it made me understand also how kind of the change in 1990s, how dramatic that was. I knew from before that in Indian movies, uh, persons who came from diaspora and who had role in 1970s, 80s, they were often ridiculed a little bit in the movies. They were looked at kind of simpletons, outsiders, while in the Bollywood movies in the 1990s, they become heroes. So there is this transformation, uh, which is part also of globalization, of course, uh, and many things, but it is uh, kind of an interesting. And it was sh- shocking to me to see uh, what happened in 1947. And there are good reasons for why maybe the Indian nation states did. I mean, it was a new nation state. It was one of the first colonies to gain independence. There were many things going on. So someone has to understand it in its own context. But as we read it today, uh, it's quite, you know, I mean, surprising. I would say. Uh, yeah
0: yeah, it's fascinating it's uh it's it's great that over overarchingly you know from what, what i'm gleaning from what you're saying you know studying studying uh the hindu diaspora yourself uh you probably had a you had a great deal of knowledge and also as, as with all of us who study we have a great deal of suspicions we have mm-hmm. a great deal of things that we suspect to be true or intuit or generalizations that we can draw or infer uh, mm-hmm. and it's always nice to have the data confirm what we suspect but now this process sounds like one where you've been afforded the opportunity to empirically verify many of your suspicions about the hindu diaspora mm-hmm. um, regarding the part that surprised you thank you for sharing that it's i, I find it fascinating uh, for me personally uh, perhaps if i were if 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 perhaps if i were, were in your perspective i too would be surprised by that but in my particular case the only reason i'm not remotely surprised by that is because of my own Um, lived experience Mm. so i was born in what was used to be british guyana and so i came to toronto at a very very young age Mm. and toronto has been home and so you know there are a number of experiences one has throughout the 80s Mm. uh, regarding experiences with um, people who have been in toronto forever uh, immigrants from a variety of backgrounds and um times have changed now a great deal because now who knows who's from where, you know, you, 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 you you visit Italy and you, you see, you, 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 you see, you see a person who appears of Indic origin, but they speak Italian with an English act. They speak English with an Italian accent as if somebody who's been in, you know, in Venice for 10 generations. And so, um, you know, but, but, you know, those from a West Indian background, in particular, I can say, they well know that they don't belong. They didn't belong to the, the world to which they emigrated. They were second class mm. citizens by and large. Times have changed, obviously, mm. and they did not belong among the Indian community from whom they were outcasts. Yeah. And it was a coin toss as to which <laughs> it was a coin toss as to which marginalization was more um, was more uh, visceral. Uh, and we, when we think about it, I suppose part of the logic is that imagine the marginalization and even oppression that um, uh, perhaps peasants or laborers may have experienced within India on behalf yeah. of ruling classes, on behalf of you know the middle class, or etc. 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 Whether it's a caste issue or a class issue, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's um, it, it is a fascinating phenomenon. And 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 these days. Um, we can no longer draw conclusions about, you know, someone might be of a West Indian background but relatively successful. Someone might be uh, born and bred in New York City and be a lazy bum. <laughs> you know, oh. but,
1: but it's but it's fascinating to hear your your perspectives on that. So, so the world has become much smaller, and that's a really good thing. Actually, in the United States, there are as many no, uh, people from Norwegian background as there are Norwegians in Norway. And the Norwegian state was very clear that those Norwegians who are left, they are no longer Norwegians. So uh, it has so they had the same, I mean, uh, same view that this that uh, kind of the the Norwegian nation couldn't afford to have any kind of responsibility. For uh, those people, Norwegians living in the United States, so it was probably a kind of a maybe a normal thing. But with the changing of the world and the world becoming much smaller and uh, more consciousness about it, uh, then these things uh, are also uh, or are also changing. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I like the the parallel to the Norwegian situation. And what I would suspect is, by and large, as you say, it's an economic concern, um, perhaps even a cultural one, I would say that in the Indic context, the cultural dimension is uh, exasperated, uh, colored by class and caste issues that are that 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 operate even within uh, the nation state much less uh, uh, without and and another piece that's interesting to me is i use the word indian i use the word indic more often than not i didn't quite like the word at all for a number of years and in in recent years i use the word indic to indicate indian in a cultural sense because when i say indian people might think indian in a, in a nation-state sense and of course think about uh think about the indentured laborers in their thousands uh who who ended up in in the west indies this is long before the nation state was 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 forged Absolutely. and so it's yeah. it, it really is a fascinating um fascinating phenomenon um that the last question for you you know just say you were doing a, a public talk or teaching undergrads or, or, or you have a naive interlocutor like myself asking you, you know, a question along the following lines, how would you answer? So what are some of the features of Indian diaspora, of, pardon me, of Hindu diaspora? What are some of the overarching features that we can glean about the Hindu
1: diaspora? Hmm. Well, I, I think one... Yeah, yeah one let's talk about religion then. So I would say that the centrality of the temple that has become, I think that's a main feature uh, and the preservation of uh, of uh, uh, or the presentations of uh, um, of uh, cultural tradition with, within the temple. Like dance traditions, language, clothes, etc. So I think, uh, they as a minority, uh, when people go meet in the temples often on for festivals, especially. So that's also a, a, maybe a, a, the diaspora phenomenon, a festivalization of religion. But when then people can be kind of hundred percent, let's see, South Asian Hindus. In the temple, it's South Asian languages. Uh, so, I think also um, the, uh, the religion is very important for the for the Hindu diasporas. I mean, religion in the temples, religion is being recreated. So the connection to South Asia is important. Uh, uh, let, uh, with the let's see the let's see the Elam Tamil, who are the great uh, temple builders in Europe, uh, they kind of recreate kind of them the temple as the, the place to preserve and maintain the Elam Tamil culture as much as possible. So even if they live separate places, they would meet there maybe, at, especially at festivals. So that will be, I, I think, one uh, from a Hindu point of view. Now, of course, Hinduism is a extreme diverse tradition, or and that is also part of the diaspora. It's religiously very diverse, uh, but then dominated, perhaps, by some. At least some traditions more than others, but Gujarati tradition, okay. But that's also very. These are also very diverse traditions. So that diversity and centrality of the temple and strong connections to to uh, uh, to South Asia often at least attempting to preserve south asian languages south asian food south asian uh, clothing um but maybe after a while this will be in festival uh, there will be a kind of festivalization of these items of the culture maybe not uh, everyday but uh, yes maybe that will be the Three things that I could think of now. But.
0: Great. Well, thank you for indulging <laughs> me these <laughs> these questions. I was chatting briefly with uh, um, a guest recently, and and you, you know, for for the vast majority of guests, uh, we have never met, and a good many guests actually, I'd say over half, easily over half of my guests. I've never done a podcast before. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, so you know, we, we chat about, you know, briefly about the process. And, and I, I said, you know, I, I ask just these general basic purposely naive questions. And one of my guests said, yes, the hard ones. <laughs> <I> said, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> the, the hard ones. Oh, so good. Um. Anyhow, yeah, well, thank you very much for appearing on the podcast
1: today. So thank you for having me. So it was uh, nice to be able to to have this chat on, on on my book. So thank you. You're welcome. For those listening, we've been speaking with Dr. Newt
0: Jacobson, who is the editor of Hindu Diasporas um, uh, as part of the Oxford History of Hinduism series. Until next time, keep well, keep listening, uh, keep thinking, keep reading, and keep contemplating. Um, keep contemplating the. The movement of peoples across uh, across space and their um, expressions of religiosity in their new homes. Take care.